Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. It stands strong. Love is the most powerful weapon, the most powerful force on this planet, Lord. And you fight with your love every day in pursuit of the lost, the broken, those who need you. You pursue them. I pray you speak to us through your word as we open our hearts to hear what you have to say through your word. We give you praise, glory, and honor for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of the word today. It's so good to see everybody out here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. They're very familiar uh, passages of Scripture to us. It's what I'm going to be preaching today will be nothing new to you as Pentecostals, nothing new to you as the Palace of Praise. But we just need to be reminded of some things when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, The former treaties have I made, O Theolopus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. It's very important that we'll go back to that verse after a while. Until the day in which he was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And Go ahead, turn it. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with him, he commended them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, without this time restore again the kingdom of Israel. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put into his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Praise the name of the Lord. Can you give the Lord applause for the reading of the word of the Lord today? My mind has been all over the place this week. It's been very difficult for me to kind of focus in on what the Lord really wanted due to the fact that, number one, that we are celebrating what we call the day of Pentecost today. That's what this is. The word Pentecost means 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover, and this is the day that that falls on, and that's what we are celebrating here. And I was going to be actually preaching on the actual uh, Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament. I was going to break it down and show you all the different things, but it just didn't fit. It just didn't seem right, so I left that study. And then I got to thinking of all that was going on in our nation and everything that's going on in the rioting, and I thought, well, maybe I need to focus on that because that's where we're at. That's where our nation's at. I will probably, unless the Lord changes my mind, I'll probably be picking up on that next week. But I feel an urgency and I feel the most important just to preach to you one of the most practical Pentecostal sermons that probably anybody could ever preach. Probably one of our children's church members could come out and preach to you about what I'm gonna be preaching to you today as a reminder of who we are, what is important to us, and what we are to achieve as the people of God. How many know that you and I have a mission? 
How many of you know that we are called, that we're anointed, that we're empowered? Can I have an amen? That's who we are as palace of praise believers. Though I want to focus mainly on verse eight and preach to you on the topic of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit baptism. How many know that there's power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The first thing that we need to note in this passage of scripture is that the infilling of the Spirit is not optional for the believer. Matter of fact, Christ did not come down and make a suggestion that it might be a good thing for us to receive the Holy Spirit, but rather he commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. As a matter of fact, that word endued means to be clothed upon, to clothe with, or it needs to be, it means to be fitted, fitted for service. You know, when a man goes into the military, the first thing that they do is they begin to put him through boot camp and they begin to fit him up for the service in which he's about to serve. And not only that, they do it down to the very, very clothes that he wears. They suit him up. They give him a measurement. They get that suit or that uniform in order to fit him. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do with our lives. He wants to come down and tailor make us a a, a suit of armor that is just for you and I so that you and I can go into battle for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to fit you today. I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is walking around with a measuring stick in his hand and he's measuring you up and he wants to give you just what is right for you. And one of the things that's wrong with Pentecost is that we want to measure ourselves by what everybody else does and the way everybody else acts and the way that everybody else expresses themselves. I want to tell you, you're nobody but yourself. And God wants to do to you only what God wants to do to you and that's all. You don't have to try to be like anybody else, act like anybody else, dance like anybody else, shout like anybody else or anything else. Be yourself here today and let the Holy Ghost fit you with the tailor-made blessing that's designed just for you. Can I have an amen? I'm about to preach here today. This thing is personal, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 of our text, he says, and being assembled together with him, he commanded, there's the scripture, there's the word that I want you to look at. Look at it again. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to bark from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. Now, when it comes to the Spirit-filled life, it's not an option for the believer. It's a command of Jesus Christ. That's something that we don't want to notice. That's something we don't want to pay attention to, but it's just as much of a command as thou shall not steal, or thou shall not kill, or thou shall not commit adultery. Why is it that when we look at the Ten Commandments and we take those sacred commandments and we, we, we understand that them are things that we're not supposed to be doing. But yet when Jesus gives us other kinds of commandments, we really don't look at them as that, you know, like a commandment like these 10 commandments are. For example, in the book of John, John wrote and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That is a commandment. That I'm to love you just the way that Christ has loved me. How, can I have an amen? But here the scripture tells us that the Holy, uh, that Jesus Christ gave us a command to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That commandment is to be obeyed. That commandment is to be honored. That commandment is to be sought after with all of our hearts. In John chapter 20 verse 22, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for this blessed experience that was to come after his resurrection. His disciples were gathered and assembled in a hiding behind closed doors because of the fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood before them after his resurrection and he showed them 
his hands and his feet. He said, look, it's me. Look at the hose in my hand. Look at the hose in my feet. Look at the hose in my side. And he showed them his spear, his speared side. And it was there that they recognized him, the Lord. And the Bible literally says, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. Here's the resurrected Lord. And here he is revealing himself to the disciples after his resurrection. But Jesus said something to them right after that, after showing himself, it says, he said unto them, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And then he goes right in the next verse, in verse 22, and says something very unique and very important and very powerful. He says, and when he had said this thing, he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you, folks, Jesus would not even send them out unless they were fitted for service because he knew that there were dangers out there. And let me stop right here. It's always been that we've always needed the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about it, but if we ever need the Holy Spirit, it's now. Buddy, with things that is kicking in, you better be ready to be fitted for service because we're coming to the close of the dispensation of grace and we're seeing hell come against the church like never before. The dividing line has been made. The gray area has been taken out. There's only light and darkness and darkness has spread its ugly head and it's coming against the church and we need to be fitted and clothed and endued with power from the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? Oh, Brian Matthew says uh, you may not need to be, you may not have to be baptized in, uh, in the Holy Ghost to go to heaven because, you know, we understand that. But he said, but you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost to go to Walmart. Amen. You may not need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in heaven, but you need him down here. Can I have an amen? The early church recognized that the importance of the Holy Spirit and they put spiritual emphasis on the early church Christians to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you know it's the will of God for every believer, every Christian, every child of God in this building to be spirit-filled or another term would be baptized in the Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. We take that for granted. Those of you that hear the term baptized in the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, they're the one and the self-same experience and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit is the same person just with many titles. He's called paraclete. He's called comforter. He's called one alongside to help. He's called teacher. He's called a lot of things within scripture. But it was Paul that said in Ephesians 5 and 18, I'm about to preach here. He said, and be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. The term or the example of worldly intoxication is intertwined actually in the actual Greek context and the Greek language in the original writings in this passage to show us how important it is to go into what we call spiritual intoxication. Paul was actually promoting or preaching the importance of being intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that it's important that you get drunk here today? Say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Be not drunk with wine or whiskey or beer, where is it but be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. It's important that you and I get under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To be intoxicated means that you're under the spell, the control, or the influence of another. Have you ever heard the saying of an intoxicated man that's walking down the street or driving in a car and he's you know, staggering and he's slobbering and, and you can look and there's a noticeable problem with him and everybody will say, well, he's under the influence, meaning he's drunk. If he gets put over by a cop, it's called driving while intoxicated. 
complicated. I want to tell you it's time that you and I get under the influence of the Holy Spirit to where people can look over and say, hey, there is a distinct difference, a distinct mark on that individual's life. There is a witness of the Holy Spirit baptism and power that's upon that man and there's a difference in that church because it's a spirit-filled church. Let me tell you, there's a difference in a spirit-filled congregation and a non-spiritual congregation and you and I are to be spirit-filled, drunk on the Holy Spirit. Lift up your hand and give the Lord praise in this house. Oh, hallelujah. The New Testament believers were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Spiritual intoxication goes back to the origin of Pentecost. You remember on the very day of Pentecost when it was fulfilled, the Bible says that those in the upper room took the streets, they were speaking in tongues, and there were, uh, the Bible says there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of, under, under heaven, uh, out of every nation under heaven, and the Bible says when they saw this phenomenal, this, these people speaking in tongues, they heard them speak in their own language, many were amazed and said the wonderful works of God, the wonderful power of God, and others mocked and said, no, these be drunk, and all of a sudden it was Peter that stood up on that day of Pentecost with the 11, and this is what he said. And Peter, standing up with 11, lifted up a voice, said to them, you men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my voice. These men are not drunk as you suppose. Did not say that they weren't drunk. They're just not drunk as you suppose. You think they're drunk on new wine. In other words, there was a visible difference about them men. There was something going on that had made them appear like as if they were drunk. Somebody with me here? And all of a sudden, he says, these are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about, that in the last days saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my handmaids and upon my servants, I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the men seen. It was the influence of the Holy Ghost upon those individuals. The early church put emphasis on the necessity of the importance of the baptism of the Spirit. You know, we're living in a time when it seems like the church has lost their passion, their desire, the spiritual hunger for spirited services and for the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, and yet it was Jesus that said, while teaching on the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, this is what Jesus said. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they're the ones that's going to be filled. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the ones that's going to be filled, the ones that crave it, that desire it, that hunger for it, that want it, that seek after it, that put some time into wanting the Holy Spirit to possess them, the Holy Spirit to take control of them. They want to come under the influence and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. How many want that in your life here today? Come on, raise your hand and wave it at the Lord. Say, I want the Holy Spirit to follow me. God fall in this place. It seems the church has lost sight of the importance of the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I was a young lad, there were many, many times, and I was involved in those services seeking for it myself, there were times in my life I wore people out. I sought the Lord many times till midnight, sometime, one time till two o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night service. And it wasn't in those services that I received it. It was just a few services later. But I developed a hunger. I developed a desire. When people would get saved and my pastor would begin to preach, he preached on the Holy Spirit all the time because there was a necessity. When people would come up to the altar, there were believers, they'd lay hands on them and people would gather around them and they would begin to pray for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit 
trained them and they discipled them and they taught them about the importance. Seek after the Holy Ghost. Seek for the presence of God. Seek the Spirit of God. And that was a common practice in the day of my earlier years. We don't longer even see that. Matter of fact, we have churches that preach against it, teach against it, and we have others that just feel like, well, if you want it, it's fine, and if you don't, it's fine. Let me say this. I say what Jesus said, it is a necessity, is it is important that we allow this church to be spirit-led, spirit-empowered, spirit-directed. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, if you believe that, would you stand to your feet and just praise him right now? Ask him to fill you right where you're at, afresh and anew. Come on, praise him. Holy Spirit. Hold on, I'll shut up a higher. I'm not ashamed of it. People say, well, don't get too spirited. You'll run people out. For everyone that runs out, 50 will run into this place because there's people that are curious about the fire. Can I have a, for everybody, everyone that don't want it, there are 50 that are wanting it. People are wanting to see something authentic, something real, something powerful, something moving. They want to see a congregation that's alive, that's spirited, that has life and fatality in it. They don't want to come to a church that's on life support. Come on, somebody help me preach. You may be seated if you can. I'm doing my best. I tell you, the presence of the Holy Ghost is here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was. Just let me have my moment. I'll get back to preaching in a minute. Say, what is it? None of your business. That's my personal blessing. Woo! Them doodads are running up and down my spine. What little hair I got, it's standing on in on the back, and I got boost goosebumps. Can I have an amen? I love to feel the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. He's alive, he's well. Jesus said in John 16 and 7, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, that comfort of that Holy Ghost, that paraclete will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The word expedient means necessary or most necessity, most important vital. Jesus said this is vital, this is important. But then he used another term or beyond return. I thought that was kind of unusual and I looked it up. Jesus literally said that if it was beyond return that you needed, it was the Holy Spirit. It was a phrase to mean irreplaceable and void or without as if nothing else could take its place. In other words, Jesus was saying it's the Holy Ghost or nothing. Jesus was saying if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, there's always gonna be something missing. There's gonna be lack in your life. And folks, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit don't offer you anything, then why seek it? But if you don't have it, that means there's a void, there's a lack in your life. And you'll always have that lack until the Holy Spirit comes and nothing else can take the place of the Holy Spirit. That work that he's gonna do in you, nothing else can do it. Nobody. It, ain't, it can't be engineered, it can't be manufactured, it can't be a preacher, it can't be, nothing can do the work in your life like the Holy Spirit can. 
Well, there's a lack of the Holy Spirit baptism. There's a lack of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? The Holy Spirit came to reveal Jesus, to point to him, to finish the work that he initiated and started. You remember what he said in the book of John? How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hear, that what he'll speak. And he will receive of mine and show it unto you, and he will glorify me. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit receives all of the commands from Jesus and he reveals those commands to us and everything there is about the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit leads us in that divine truth of who Jesus is. So therefore, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot know Jesus intimately because the way we know Jesus and the way we have a relationship with Jesus is through the intimacy of the Holy Spirit that he sent to us. Because he's the paraclete, one just like Jesus is what that means. He's the companion that's just like Christ. He came to do the will of Christ. Why does one need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So we can just speak in tongues and be different? No. What's the purpose of the experience? Being filled with the Spirit is the believer's spiritual equipment for taking up the vocation, Christ's vocation and power. It's fitting us for service. Can I have an amen? It's not, it's not an experience that happens to churches, organizations, or institutions. I want to tell you, institutions and organizations and churches will be affected if their members are, 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 are filled with the Holy Spirit. But spirit baptism is experience that is profoundly personal. Can I have an amen? And too often where we make mistakes is that we rely upon the church for the outpouring of the Spirit or we rely upon the spirituality of the church for the manifestation of the Spirit. We come in and we put it, well, so-and-so's filled and pastor preaches under the anointing and, the, and, and, and you look to find the Holy Spirit in the context of the spiritedness and the lifeness of other individuals. Even though that is vitally important and it does minister to us, nothing can minister to us but like having a personal touch and encounter with the Holy Spirit for ourselves. Can I have an amen? We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit will not fill you just because your church is filled. Amen? The Holy Spirit will not equip you, empower you, or use you just because you're in a spirit, spirited, lively church. This thing called the Holy Ghost is a holy guest in the Greek that will not invade the wishes and the privacy of your own life. He will draw you, he will convict you, he will love on you, but he will not fill you if you do not desire him and if you do not seek him. It isn't gonna happen. The Holy Ghost ain't just gonna come and fall down upon you. You gotta want him. You gotta seek after him. You gotta desire him and there's things in your life you gotta work out in order for you to be able to yield to him. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a private matter between the spirit and the individual seeker. However, in Luke eleven thirteen, it lets us know that it pleases the Father to give the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us. The Bible tells us in Luke 11, verse 11 through 13, for if a son shall ask bread of any of you that of a father, in the place of the bread, will you give him a stone? If you ask for fish in the place of the fish, will you give him a serpent? If you ask for an egg in the place of an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? All you got to do is ask, and you shall receive. See, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open. That's prior to this chapter. Psalms 84 and 11 says, For the Lord of God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God wants to give the Holy Spirit to the church. Amen? 
And the purpose of Pentecost was to empower Jesus' disciples for the task of continuing his work in the world. That was the purpose. It wasn't that they could dance more, shout more, run more and all that. That ain't what that's about. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church to continue the work that Jesus Christ initiated. Jesus had accomplished the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit in his earthly ministry. Did you know everything Jesus done on earth, he done as a man, not as God. Jesus had a divine nature. How many knows that Jesus was the Son of God? Of course he was. But he also had a term called the Son of Man. And everything Jesus done on earth, he done as a man and not as God. Everything he done was, was that he yielded his lie to the work of the Holy Spirit and it was the work of the Holy Spirit through the fleshly body, man, man side of Jesus through his earthly body that done all of the works. I'm glad of that. You know why? I don't have a divine nature I can pull from. I'm not God. You're not a God. And the only way we can do anything is by us submitting to the life of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit enabling us, empowering us to do the work that Jesus started and that Jesus initiated. So let me stop right here and say this. Thank God that Jesus showed us the way to yield to the Holy Spirit. In his earthly beginning in Luke chapter two, the Bible tells us that Mary was conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. It was from the very conception Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. We see in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. I like what it says at the end of that scripture. And Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. <laughs> he went in with the Spirit and he came out with the Spirit. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter one, verse 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus was driven by the Spirit. In Luke 4 and 18, Jesus healed by the Spirit, brought deliverance by the Spirit, preached by the Spirit, opened blinded eyes by the Spirit, raised the dead by the Spirit, made the lame to walk by the Spirit. By the Spirit, how do I know that? He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to set the captives free. He sent me to set liberty to them that are bruised. He sent me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It was all done by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, help me. In Acts 10 and 38, he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. How Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Hebrews 9 and 14, he offered himself up on the cross by the Spirit. Acts 1 and 2, he gave commandments by the Holy Ghost. That's what our verse says, until the day in which Jesus was taken up. After that, through the Holy Ghost, he gave commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He would not even preach if it wasn't for the anointing of the Holy The very commandments he gave you was by the unction and the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, help me. Now, the purpose of Pentecost is to empower us for the task of the continue, continue the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus accomplished the will of the Father in his earthly ministry, even so now he desires that his body, the church, also continue fulfilling the will of God by being filled with the Holy Spirit and doing the work of the kingdom of God. That's what we're to do, Amen. 
Just as Jesus fulfilled the will of God and built the kingdom of God up by the Spirit, even so he wants us to build the kingdom of God up by the Spirit. I want to tell you, folks, you'll not be as productive without the Holy Ghost. Now that we're born again, we're born into a kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. We need the Holy Spirit to operate in that kingdom because we got to understand the Spirit. We got to hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. We got to have the direction, the unction, the leadership. It's so vitally important. If we get caught up in our emotions, we'll make a mess of things. If we go by sight, if we go by feelings, we'll bring destruction to our very lives. There are times when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and 90% of the time when he tells me to do something, it is the opposite of what I think I ought to do in the flesh. Amen? There's so much missing from the church today than what there was in the book of Acts. What is it? It's the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to live in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. We're to, we're to, we're to be anointed in the Spirit. We're to sing in the Spirit. How many knows that we're even to worship in the Spirit? Everything's about walk in the spirit where you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. The Bible tells us God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everything's about spirit, 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 spirit. The church is to bear witness of Christ and his ministry through the spirit just as Christ born witness to the Father in the power of the spirit. Now what does that mean? I'm fixing to preach a good sermon here if you'll hang on to me. When you study church history, you're gonna find out that the apostolic church remained mostly inactive even after the resurrection and post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. It didn't do much. Come on, it just lingered. It just existed. Much was not happening. Kingdoms were not being shaken. Darkness was not dissipating. Souls were not being saved very much. Come on. Even after the resurrection, post-resurrection of Jesus. Even after he appeared before them, there wasn't a lot going on even after Jesus appeared before them. Go look at it. Look at church history. The activity of church wasn't seen until the empowerment by the Holy Spirit when it was, when, and it was then that it was, on the day of Pentecost that they received power to fulfill the mission of the church. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they were equipped by the Spirit then to be Christ's witnesses, not only in word, but in deed. Now, that's where I want to preach just for a minute. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not word, but power. Whoa, now that's a mighty statement. How many knows that Paul was a word man? How many know that Jesus is the word? Amen? I don't have to quote all that, do I? How many believe Jesus is the word? Of course we know that. But Paul comes along and says, I want you to know the kingdom of God is not just in word, but it's in power. Come on now, think about it. A lot of churches are trying to build the church just on good preaching and good teaching. Oh, that's vitally important, don't take it out. But there's got to be another element added to teaching and preaching. It's called power. Come on, somebody help me preach. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God came on the day of Pentecost. Did you know that? Jesus said to his disciples, there'll be many of you that will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. They were literally thinking that he was talking about the second part of his second return when he come back to the earth. 
But no, 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 no. He was talking about the day of Pentecost because it was on the day of Pentecost that the kingdom of God came. To reject Pentecost is the same as rejecting the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Acts 2 and 3, to him also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen to them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Prior to Pentecost, he's talking about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God that will come. Jesus did not bring or usher in the kingdom. He was the king of the kingdom. But I tell you what brought the kingdom in was the Holy Spirit. The spirit is all about the kingdom and the kingdom is all about the spirit. The spirit's work cannot be humanly prescribed or ordered to fit pre-existing conditions. The spirit's work cannot be copied or manufactured by man-made methods. You can't go to a seminar and get taught how to operate in the Holy Ghost. You can't go see the Holy Spirit doing something in a certain church and then say, I'm gonna go try that at our church. And I wanna tell you, what might be alive and powerful there would be dead in the door now here if you try to mimic it or copy it. The Spirit's work cannot be manufactured. Can I have an amen by man-made methods? The Spirit's work cannot be manipulated or mimicked and be an order of the flesh. Nadab and Abihu tried that in the Old Testament. And those of you that have not read that story in a while, go look at it. The fire that brought blessing the day before, under the sacrifice of, uh, uh, under the sacrifice, and and it was done in a proper way. Uh, Nadab and Abihu tried to offer strange fire. They tried to let the fire that came down and licked up the sacrifice to do the same thing, and they tried to mimic it. And when they did, it brought judgment. Can I have an amen? It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. I want the palace of praise to be authentic. What God does in the life of Donna, don't try to mimic it because you're not Donna. And the Holy Spirit is not going to have you to try to be molded into the informed in the life in the life of somebody else. He's working individually on your behalf to bring out the qualities in you that would be best fitted for you as a witness for Christ. Can I have an amen? We as a church, if we're not careful, we'll miss it all by having a preconceived idea of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, it's easy to try to preconceive something and try to act it out in the flesh to make something happen when all we gotta do is relax and rely upon the working of the Holy Spirit to work through us. Folks, the Holy Spirit will work through you if you'll trust him. Can I have an amen? The problem with today's church isn't a lack of money. It's not a lack of workers. It's not a lack of ability. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's not a lack of talent. But the problem with the church today is too many Christians are not willing to have their ideas exploded and their, and their predictable patterns of worship and lifestyle radically changed by the Holy Ghost. I'm ready for something different. How many is ready for a move of the Holy Ghost that'll shake us upside down, inside out? The problem with the churches of today is a lack of the Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be welcome without reservation into our lives and into the life of the church. Oh, welcome, Holy Spirit. Come, oh, Holy Spirit. I want to tell you I'm ready for this place to just literally come on fire with each individual being a firebrand for God by being touched. You know what you need to become today is a wick for God. Let him light you. Let him put you on fire. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid of what might happen. The Holy Spirit will be a be a, a a proper guest that'll come into your life and he'll never embarrass you, but everything that he'll do, he'll bless you to bring you to the full performance that's needed to be a witness for Jesus. 
when the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, and then only were they equipped by the Spirit to be Christ's witnesses in word and in deed. Now, that's important. Verse 1 tells us of our text, The former treaties have I made to the Othelopos of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. Did you catch those words? Do and teach. Jesus didn't just have word, buddy. He backed it up with action. Jesus didn't just give you a word and walk away, but the word had signs following it, had miracles following it. His word, the witness bared witness of his word to be true and valid. Help me, Lord. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. I don't think we fully understand that scripture. The believer received power after the Holy Spirit comes upon him. We preach that all the time. But the word for power here is dunamis. It's the same word that we get our word dynamite from. Hallelujah. And just as Jesus ministered in dunamis, dynamite power, even so the church is to minister in that same power. You, me, all of us are to walk with dunamis power. Jesus performed mighty acts. He done great wonders and miraculous signs in his ministry. And yet Jesus said in John 14 and 12, Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the words that works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall I do, because I go to my Father. Jesus said, Hey, if you believe in me and the and my works and my words, he said, You're going to do even greater works than I do. The same power that Jesus had is to be extended even to this present age, to you and I. The early disciples turned their world upside down according to the word of the Lord and it is said of them that God wrought special miracles by the laying on of their hands. Amen? The early church had the testimony that they had favor both with God and man and God confirmed his word with signs, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost. God anointed them with the apostolic anointing and there was no limit of power to perform the miracles and the miraculous and the supernatural throughout the ministry of the disciples throughout the book of Acts. They didn't have a firecracker experience. They had a dynamite experience. And I think that's what's wrong with the church. We have a firecracker. We make noise, but there's no power. As a matter of fact, what was it the Apostle Paul said? How many knows that firecrackers can sting, they can make noise, but when dynamite explodes, it moves things, it frees things, it shakes things. Can I have an amen? Paul said in the last days, what was going to be the one, number one thing that is happening to churches? He said that they're going to have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such turn away. You know what Paul said? If you got a church that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power, Stay away from that church. Woo, it's getting deep in here now. That's what Paul said. If they deny the workings and the power and the anointing and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, turn away from that church. Don't have anything to do. It's just have a form of godliness. But there's no power in it. They have word, but they have no power. They have all talk, but no action. The witnesses that are supposed to be, that we're supposed to be in Acts 1 and 8, 
We shall be witnesses unto Jerusalem, to the Samaria, and the most parts of the world. It isn't talking about going from door to door, nor is it speaking about evangelism in nature. That's not wrong because he tells us to go to the highways, the byways, and the hedges compel people to come in, the Great Commission to go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's not what kind of a witness he's talking about here, though. There is an inseparable ongoing link between the anointed witnesses of Acts chapter 1 and 8 and the workings of miracles in our text. The first miracle ever recorded after the day of Pentecost was the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. Peter and James walks up there and this man's looking at him, looking at them as if to, thinking he's going to receive something from them, such as gold or silver, a coin. He's a beggar. Peter fastens his eyes on him that day and something changed. <laughs> he said, look upon me. Get in contact with me, he says. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that Peter took him by the hand. That's how much Peter believed. He took that cripple by the hand and lifted him up like, come on. And the man received strength in his ankle bones at that very moment. Next thing you see him doing is running, leaping, going into the temple, praising God. Is that not correct? Now, Peter did not win him over by word only, but by power. Can I have an amen? And listen, this, however, this account of this healing was not merely to just tell about a miracle or to express power, but it was to lead to the question that the authorities ask. By what power, by what name have you done this? Oh, what an opportunity. And Peter stood up and said, by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. That's the name in which we've done this in. You who with wicked hands went out and destroyed him, but God raised him up on the third day. And by this witness, he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. We are the very witnesses of his power to this day. Hallelujah. Miracles were commonplace in the book of Acts. They were more than displays of power, but they provided opportunity for the form of worship, I mean, for the form of witness. Acts 4 and 33 says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How did they witness about the resurrection? By his life operating through their life. And every time there was a miracle performed, it was a witness that Jesus was alive, that he did raise from the dead, as he said. Their witness was in the form of power and not just words. Their witness was in the form of action and not just talk. They had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Their witness of the gospel wasn't just in preaching a sermon but was the demonstration of power of the Spirit. This is why that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Paul also reminded the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, listen to what he said. The gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul even wrote to the Romans. Listen to what he said. He's establishing it everywhere he goes. Romans 15, verse 18 and 19. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. I could go all through the New Testament. That's everywhere. They gave glory, even in the Old Testament. It was Zubrable that said, it's not by power, it's not by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Can I have an amen? We have to condition ourselves to prepare ourselves to house the Holy Spirit here today, guys. This is where we're at. It's, it is said of Jesus that he could not do mighty works in his own hometown because of their unbelief. And a prophet is without honor in his own home. And as I began to think about this, I was talking to one of my friends this week. And we were discussing what he was preaching today. He went a different direction. He's preaching on Pentecost because it is Pentecostal Sunday. And he has this deep conviction in his church that something was going to explode today because three months ago, God gave him a word and said, three months from today, I'm going to do something. And he didn't pay attention, but three months from that day was Pentecost Sunday. And he said, I'm just excited about what God's going to do. But then he said something that really intrigued me. He said, but I hope I am not let down. And I said, well, why in the world would you be let down? And he said, because I know that the Lord has also said similar things to me. And God gave me a rhema word where he came down and bared witness of the word that he gave to me with much fear and trembling. I'd done it under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. I wept, I cried. God gave me some of the most profound experiences that I've ever had in my life. And I would think, wow, I'm gonna preach this Sunday and that place is gonna blow apart. It's just gonna just come alive. Only for me to get up and it was one of the most hardest struggling sermons that I've ever preached in my life. And I would go back into my closet and say, where did I fail? And the Lord spoke to him one time and said, you did not fail. And he said, the very thing I had for the people, they would not receive. And that was because there was not a reception of the people. And I want to tell you, today the Holy Spirit laid it in my heart that we got to return back to Pentecost. And he said, the church has got to begin to again say, it's needed, it's important. We got good music. We got lights. We got everything in the world. But I want to tell you, that can't do nothing without the Holy Spirit. It ain't our practice. It ain't our great talent. It ain't our ingenuity. It ain't good preaching. It ain't getting my outline and getting it perfect and being articulate and learning new words and trying to impress people. It ain't about education. Every I dotted, every T crossed, every period and comma in the proper place. It ain't about a perfected sermon. It ain't about a great illustrated or a something new type sermon. That's what's wrong with pastors now. We get into that. We're always looking for something new. And in reality, the word is the word and it's what it says and you can't add to, nor can you take away. And people are always wanting something. Feed me something new. I've heard that before. And because we've heard it before, we take it for granted about the importance and the necessity of the what it is actually saying to the church. And God, Jesus is right here through your preacher today breathing on you and saying, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Those of us that have been filled, we need refilled over and rekindled in the passion and the zeal of the Spirit. We need to wake up, be shaken. 
We need to be endued with power where we're not just saying things, but they're happening. Would you stand with me, please? 